Good morning. It's wonderful to be able to share from Scripture with you this morning. I appreciate this privilege and thank Dave for uh, inviting me to be a part of this series. We uh, began with uh, the first few verses in John chapter 1, and we're going to continue on with the following verses uh, this week on the theme of light. And uh, as we think about that, it's something interesting has, has happened. Many interesting things have been happening in our world. Uh, but as we face these, the difficulties of restrictions and uh, facing uncertainty, one of the things that we have been encouraged to do, or people, there's been a bit of a grassroots movement, has been to uh, put up Christmas lights early. Don't wait. Light things up. And uh, lights have always been significant uh, for Christmas. Uh, it's a reminder of, of times past. But it's been an encouragement this year as a way to put off the gloom, the despair, the monotony of, of restrictions. And uh, so there's a few uh, headlines I thought I would read or quotes uh, from the news. The Washington Post uh, in November uh, said, it's dark outside, families are putting up Christmas lights early to offset the gloom. Uh, BBC News ran the headline, a Christmas mad mum has covered her house in festive decorations already in a bid to make people smile. And this is in uh, early November, right after Halloween. Uh, in USA Today, wrote, uh, festive lights already known to be able to elevate a person's mood could take on an outsized role amid the coronavirus pandemic with families more, likely, uh, more unlikely to travel and see loved ones. Closer to home, CBC News wrote, cultural rituals are important to people because they're stable and positive and normalizing. And rituals are things that outlive our mortality. They outlive the sickness and the death of something like COVID-19. And we saw within our own province that Quebec City and Sherbrooke uh, went uh, and uh, against their usual pattern, uh, they moved up the installation of lights and of decorations uh, two weeks and made that decision in, in late October. Now, there's a, a connection between lights and religious traditions. When we think of world religious traditions, there's a number of, of uh, religions that have festivals of lights. Uh, Diwali in, in Hinduism and, and other uh, Indic religions. Uh, you have a Chinese lantern festival that has roots in Buddhism. We have Hanukkah in Judaism. And lights are important to Christianity. Uh, we see lights as a, as a significant part of the Christian Christmas traditions. Uh, so much so that uh, many uh, churches traditionally, uh, maybe less so as, as uh, we've moved on, but, but many churches would have candlelight Christmas Eve services as a way of celebrating Christmas, uh, bringing light uh, together. And uh, I, I know that was a significant part of, of my experience growing up. Uh, I'm not sure if our church hesitated to continue that tradition after I lit one of the uh, girls' hair on fire in our youth group uh, one Christmas Eve. I think they did continue it. I know my church I worked in as a youth pastor continued as well. Uh, so there's some risk with the lights, but, uh, but the beauty uh, is, is also a part of it. The tradition is, is important. Now, why would light matter to Christians? Why would it matter to Christmas? And I think John 1 gives us a significant uh, answer to this question. I'm going to read for you the, the verses. I'll begin with verse 1 in John chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 1 to verse 9. Our focus will be more significantly on verses 4 to 9, uh, as Dave was speaking on the first few verses last week. And our theme today is, is light, which hopefully is, is obvious at this point. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was, he was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Now, this, this series is titled Waiting on the Word, and today we're talking about waiting on the word of light. Uh, David introduced the idea of logos uh, last week, uh, this big idea of wisdom that steers everything. Uh, comes out of, of Greek philosophy and this structure of the cosmos, but with the reference that John makes to, to Logos, this became a technical term to refer to the preexistent person of Christ, to, the, to, to Jesus as the eternal Son of God. And our theme this week is talking about the Word as the light of the world. Now I want to begin by clarifying a couple of terms, uh, and that is light and darkness. And I think in, in a culture soaked as we are with so many different messages, we can get confused when we begin to talk about light and darkness. And as Christians, when we think about light and darkness, we're not talking about an epic battle of good versus evil, light versus dark, uh, something like Star Wars, uh, as though there's some question of what the outcome could be, as though there are these two long-standing principles battling one another. Uh, darkness itself... Uh, shouldn't be understood as the equal of light. Now, darkness is not necessarily negative. We just think of the idea of darkness taken out of this passage. Uh, we need to recognize darkness is something that is created by God, right? Darkness is something that is included in Genesis 1 as that which God creates and says it's a part of his good creation. Uh, we need darkness to sleep well to be refreshed. These are important aspects of darkness, right? Now, that doesn't uh, mitigate what we're saying about darkness here, because the darkness that we're talking about in John 1, the darkness he's referring to is, it's a, a brand of moral or spiritual obscurity, right? Uh, it is something that is trying to hide the light. It obscures the light. But it's important that we recognize it's not simply the binary opposite of light. And we know that just from the witness of our own world. Uh, we may, as a young child, think, oh, well, you know, the light shuts off at night and it comes on in the morning. But what's really happening, we know because of uh, what we've discovered about the way that our solar system works, is that we're really just living in the shadow at night. The light has not been extinguished. We're just living on the far side of it. Uh, and it's important to, to recognize that. Again, this is not, uh, you know, we, we're not having a Star Wars theology where there's this epic battle between light and darkness. The darkness doesn't exist without light. It can't exist. So what do we need to know about darkness? It's not this binary equal. Uh, and what do we need to know about light? Well, light, especially uh, the way that it's being used here by John, is referring to that which it produces these results. It's related to what it manifests. It refers initially to God's self-existent life. And it's important to recognize here that light indicates life. 
John 1, uh, John writes, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, he was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. In him, what has come into being in him was life. And the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. When summarizing the Christian faith, uh, when seeking to articulate what it is to rightly understand the truth of Scripture in the, in the third, fourth, fifth century, the early church articulated uh, the creed, struggled back and forth, and one of the things they included in the Nicene Creed, where you have a, a uh, statement on God the Father, you have a statement on God the Son, you have a statement on God the Spirit, but on God the Son, it says, I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. So light and life need to be held together. And we learn something about God by thinking about this. That what God has done in creation is reflective of who God is. And there's an important point here. I, I know we, we, uh, when we talk about Trinity, uh, we can get very confused and we can use all sorts of different symbols that are helpful in some ways and unhelpful in other ways. I, I want to say briefly here, it's important to recognize that when we talk about the Trinity, we're not just talking about the eternal Father, the eternal Son, and the eternal Holy Spirit who are one. We are talking about the eternal begetting of the Son and the eternal proceeding of the Spirit. That the, the Son is the Son eternally, as the Father is the Father eternally. And so generation is a part of the eternality of, of God. Life is inherent in who God is, and light somehow reflects this. Light is not simply the opposite of darkness. Light indicates life. Now, what is John's testimony? We're already talking about John's testimony. We have been for a week now. We have been for a few moments now. What is his testimony to the light? Uh, now, I'm, I'm going to highlight a few verses in John's gospel. Uh, one is right in our passage. The true light enlightens everyone. Now, we can take that in a general sense, uh, the Christian principle, theological principle, that all truth is God's truth. Uh, but we need to recognize it's the true light is enlightening us, not just to general ideas of this world, but to who God is, what it means to be his people, and what he is doing for us. So the true light enlightens everyone. Very specifically enlightens us to know God, but also enlightens us in all truth that is truth in this world. Uh, John also says in chapter 3, verses 19 to 21, that people loved darkness rather than light. Uh, he writes, and this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that they may clearly be uh, so that it may clearly be seen that their deeds have been done in God. Light exposes our deeds. And because uh, human beings, uh, our hearts, as John Calvin would tell us, are these idle factories, John testifies that people loved darkness because it obscures their deeds. 
A third thing I would say is that not all light is created equal or is created. Uh, we know from Scripture, uh, if the Word is the true light, right, if verse 9 is telling us the Word is the true light, then it's possible there's false lights. Looking outside of John's Gospel to Paul's writings, in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, he refers to Satan as this one who disguises himself as an angel of light, this idea of false light. Uh, if we look to John's epistle, his letter, the letter that he wrote, the three letters towards the end of the New Testament, and uh, he talks about confronting false teachers, testing the spirits. So there's, again, a sense there is false light. But even if we look in John's gospel and John's testimony about him, his own self, in fact, it's John's testimony about Jesus' testimony about John's testimony. But if we look at John chapter 5, uh, he, he writes this, uh, and this is him quoting Jesus. He was a burning and shining lamp, Jesus referring to John, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light, but I have a testimony greater than John's. He's not disparaging John. He's not disparaging John's testimony, but he's communicating something important about the light. The true light is the word. And even a great light like John, even this, this lamp burning and testifying to the light is not equal to that light. But near the center of John's gospel, and, and I think this is a very important piece of his testimony, uh, we come to this record of Jesus uh, proclaiming the following words. This is John 9, verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is in John 9. Now, the context of the passage here is Jesus healing a man born blind and not following any COVID-19 protocols to do it, right? He, he spits in the dirt, makes some mud, wipes it on this man's eyes, uh, and then he sends him to go and, and wash his eyes, and he can now see. And we see this, it's not quite the exact center of, of the gospel, but I think it's an important piece of understanding what it means to refer to Jesus as the true light coming into the world. This man born blind is enlightened. He's no longer walking in darkness. He's physically walking in the light. And what Jesus has done for this man, he is doing for all. He is the light of the world. And it's not that that was a literal, uh, a, a literal enlightening and everything else is a figurative enlightening. He really enlightened this man's eyes and he really enlightens our own, even though we may not recognize we're blind. And interesting, at the end of that story, at the end of, of John 9, uh, the Pharisees have investigated this, this miracle and they've taken a look at, at what's going on and they remain blind. So we can see something else about the light and the testimony of the light. And that is that the light can be so bright that it blinds those who would rather be in the dark. So revealed in this story uh, of healing is a central point about John's gospel. Light brings life-giving clarity. This is evident elsewhere. Uh, I'm gonna just list verses for you in John. John 8, 12, uh, John 11, verse nine. All of these are references with different contexts, but where 
the, the main idea is that light brings light-giving clarity. It enlightens the path. It enlightens the eyes. And then in John 12, Jesus says to his uh, disciples, the light is with you for a little longer. Walk while you have the light so that darkness may not overtake you. If you walk in the darkness, you do not, you do not know where you are going. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become children of light. And then John 12, verse 46, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me should not remain in the darkness. Light brings life-giving clarity. But this isn't a new message. This is the culmination of the message. How do we know this? Well, if we go back to the Old Testament, if we go back to Psalms in particular, Psalm 27, verse one, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 36, verse nine, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. Light brings life-giving clarity. And maybe one of the most uh, precise expressions, uh, Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Verse 130, the unfolding of your words give light. It imparts understanding to the simple. C.S. Lewis, in an, an essay uh, called Is Theology Poetry, put it this way. And, and C.S. Lewis is, is thinking you know, back to he had been an atheist and he had turned to Christianity. And he says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. This is what the light of the world does. The light shows the way of life. I won't read it, but I'd reference you to the first chapter of John's first epistle, 1 John uh, 1, verse 5 and following, and you get a bit of a summary again of what he's saying about the light. But I want to raise a question. The light shows the way. The light gives life-giving clarity. But what kind of life? Is the word of light simply about living well in this world? On one hand, it must be. The light enlightens us to walk with God. Furthermore, it lights our path for living in this world. But we need to be clear. I remember having a conversation with a, a friend of mine uh, when we were both youth pastors and a student had come up to him and, and she said, hey, thank you because of your youth group. Uh, you know, I have a better life. And, and that's gratifying to hear that things are better but the light didn't come simply so we have better life. And it, the light didn't come simply so, you know, that by worldly standards we could gauge these things. John 10.10, 10, the thief, okay, and, and here again, it's, it's Im implicit here, the thief coming to steal the sheep from the sheep pen, it's likely coming at night, right? So we have again this theme of, of light and dark. The thief comes to kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And I think in times, especially in a time of, of uh, suffering, a time of restriction, a time of despair, frustration, we need to be reminded the light came, not so that we could just have better life, not just so that things could go back to normal, 
The light came that we might have life and have it abundantly, that we might have life and have it to the full. And I think we need to be reminded as Christians of this sometimes. Sometimes we get, we get distracted by shiny objects. And, and I remember living in the lower mainland of British Columbia in the 1990s, and I remember a story coming out of people who uh, miraculously, their, their fillings were being replaced with gold. Uh, in a miraculous, not, they were saying they hadn't gone to their dentist to have the procedure done. It's just this miraculous thing. It was a part of the spirit working. Now, further news uh, explorations had dentists reminding people that they had visited them and, and had had this happen. But, but that's not the main point I would want to make. The main point is I don't recognize the God revealed in Scripture as the God who replaces old fillings with gold. He is the God who makes whole. That is the God who is revealed in Scripture. The eternal word made flesh not to make your life better, not to simply uh, make you more affluent, not to make you more powerful, but he came that you might have life and have it to the full, the fullness of life, a life lived for God, lived for God in the midst of suffering, that in the midst of suffering, we wouldn't just say, well, I'm suffering just for suffering's sake. This is what... Christians do, know that we look to God in suffering. So what does it mean for the word to be the light of the world? Well, the word is revealed as true light through what he does for the world. How do we know who God is? We see his work as creator. We see his work as sustainer, the one through whom all things are held together. We see his work as redeemer. And this indicates to us who God is. This is how he is revealed to us. And very specifically revealed to us as Father, Son, and Spirit doing these works. I think we also need to recognize that the word was true light before coming into the world. John 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, and he was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. It is in this context that he is revealed as the true light. John 1, uh, sorry, uh, and the third thing I would say here is we shine as the light of the world because of the word. As Christians, as the church of Jesus Christ. We shine because of him. We're living in the fulfillment of that promise made to Abraham that his descendants would uh, be numerous as the stars in the sky. We live in light of Jesus' words that you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid in Matthew 5. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket, but on the lampstand... Uh, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. We shine as the light to the world because of the word. Now, shining may be difficult under these present circumstances. But to be honest, it's difficult under any circumstances because we get so caught up in this world, in this life. And we forget that that true light that, that shined before he came into the world sets the standard for the life that we are to live and the light that we are to reflect. 
Martin Luther King Jr. in a sermon, Loving Your Enemies, put it this way. So somehow the isness of our present nature is out of harmony with the eternal oughtness that forever confronts us. There's an important principle there. The isness of our present actions and nature needs to be aligned with the eternal oughtness that is God's will. The light of the world shapes this in us. We simply reflect this through the work of the Spirit. This is why, uh, and and I have a great interest in, in ethics, this is why Christian ethics can't actually stop at the question of should. It always must move on to the question of who are we becoming? Who will we be when we stand in God's presence in eternity, when we are no longer out of sync with his eternal oughtness, when we're living in that presence. Yet we are called to live that here, now. And that is being the light of the world, reflecting the true light that is revealed in the word. Those are big ideas. It's a big calling. And I want to conclude by calling us maybe to something a little more limited. There's a majestic significance to John 1 and its implications. Jesus, the word made flesh, is the light of the world. The eternal son is light from light. And we are to reflect his light. We are called and empowered by the Holy Spirit to be the continued presence of his light in this world. So we may feel this majestic call and and emphasize, well, we need to go do great, impactful, massive things. It it makes me think back to the, the, uh, you know, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, which generally we loosely interpret as I'm going to be a famous Christian because I'm going to do great things, amazing things. I'm struck by Paul's writing in Philippians 2, uh, where after talking about the humility of, of Christ, he says, do all things without murmuring and arguing, so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the world. Paul links shining like stars in the world with, with what? Gathering tens of thousands of people together, beginning a a new uh, faith-based non-government organization uh, by people knowing your name, knowing the things you've done. No, he links it to, hey, stop complaining. He links it very closely to a major problem the Israelites had, grumbling and complaining. So my encouragement to you today, and because my family is watching this at home, they know that these words are directed right at me is before we try to shine for the universe, let's twinkle a bit at home. Let's sparkle in our neighborhoods. Let's be people of thanksgiving in the midst of a world of complaining. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your light. And I thank you that your light means life. And I pray that we would live in light of the life that you give us. I pray that your light would shine through us And Lord, I pray that we'd be aware of those small little things close to home that that means. And Lord, I pray in my own heart you'd do a work uh, of thanksgiving. Lord, that the darkness of complaining would be something that is squelched out and extinguished by your light.
And Lord, you know for those who are listening uh, where it is that they need to shine, where it is that your light needs to shine in their lives. And I pray you would speak to them through your word, through your light, and that you would shape us into those who uh, twinkle, who sparkle, who shine for you. In Jesus' name, amen.